everybody to another episode of Bumper Sticker Face. My name is Louis Dooley. I got my brother Sam Key with me this morning. What's up, man? What's shaking? Not a lot shaking. Oh, today's my son's birthday. Man, how old is he? 17. Man, 17. Yeah. Man, I can remember 17. Like, it was about 30 <laughs> years ago. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> so, happy birthday to, to Gleason. Happy birthday, Gleason. We would sing happy birthday, but I can't no, sing, man. No, I'll break right. the mic. That's all right. But that's cool. How does it feel being a parent of a... We got an older son, too. Yeah, I got an older one, That's too. soon to be hitched. Yeah, right? he's soon to be married. That means you're getting old, right? Yeah. It feels good. It feels okay. Well, it don't feel good getting old for me, but you no, know it, it is what it is. But part of the aging story. Oh, sorry, I just threw him under the bus already. Mm. But we have a guest today. Of course, we got a guest. We, we don't just have today. a great, not, great intro. Great it's intro. Not, it's not any old guest. Should we redo this? <laughs> no, it's not any old guest. It's not any old guest. And you like know this dude? Yeah, I, I have known him from uh, from from years ago. And his name's Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Although when I knew him, you weren't yet a doctor yet. Far but, from it. Yeah. Yeah. But so in um, we just get get right started. So and when I went to seminary back in like yeah two thousand. We uh, had to take Greek, went to uh, Trinity, and uh, I was assigned to this Greek class with this uh, teacher that was just a little bit ahead of me, but super smart. Mm. And his name was Jonathan Pennington. Okay. And this this is like still to this day, this is one of these classes that I remember that stands out to me mm. uh, because of who taught it. Yeah. Because of because of Jonathan Pennington, and um, just his 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 passion and zeal for the language, mm. for God, for learning, it just excited me, mm. and continued to uh, fuel kind of my excitement for learning and growth in that. And then um, I mean, and then along the way, we we had conversations in that at seminary, and I remember. Um, one time we were going through a series of like deaths in my family and I remember sitting with you and, uh, and you, you even had tears in your eyes. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but you said to me that God loves to keep us desperate and mm. that has always um, wow. s- stood with me and has been for me mm. in um, some difficult times in my life. So happy to uh, reconnect with you. And then since then, your journey, you were you you were a pastor at um I, th- I believe Mount Morris uh-huh. Evangelical Free Church. Church in Mount Morris for five years, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then um so this guy does pastoral ministry too, and even to this day, but then he went mm-hmm. to St Andrews in Scotland, where he studied under uh, Richard Bauckham, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. Um, is that Vody Bauckham's me? brother? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, not in any way. <laughs> not, in any way. <laughs> um, not even brother in Christ. No, I'm I mean, just playing. well, no comment. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, very. It's fun that it's funny. Spelled differently, but uh, different race, ethnicity, country, yeah, physical size. I mean, everything. Yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew that. that. Yeah. They're, they're uh, very different people, but that's okay. You know. So now Jonathan is at. He finished his PhD, obviously, and then well, not obviously, but um. I guess it's because I said doctor, obviously. Uh, but then he was hired at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary where he teaches uh, New Testament. And along the way, there's been a few a few books that he's had on, on the Gospels especially. Um, I believe the first one was about heaven and earth and uh, Matthew, Matthew's mm-hmm. Gospel. And then one 
um, that I want to sort of camp out on today is called Jesus, the um, great philosopher, mm. which was, has been your most recent one, uh, like uh, 2020 maybe? Couple, couple since then, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of different things, so it's totally fine. Yeah. Well, uh, Jesus, a the great button. philosopher really, I mean, that just the title stands out to me and it stood yeah. out to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very appropriate uh, for yeah. our times. Yeah, I had a, and if we have time not to derail us, but just last night at a leadership class I was in at our church, this uh, Wheaton College student who's soon to graduate um, brought up her inability to really understand how God turned his back on Jesus when he was dying on the cross, mm-hmm. you know, and he says, you know, mm-hmm. my God, my God, why have you forsaken mm-hmm. me? And so mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you know, that would be something that, oh, I know he, I know he got answers. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe later, <laughs> once we get through with the. No, let's bring it up now. Okay. Well, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> what would you say wow. yeah, to a person deep, who says. Going deep fast. Good yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult for me to understand this. Like, help me understand it. What would you, totally. what would be your response? Yeah, no, it's great. It's interesting. I just was teaching about that yesterday in my Matthew class. Boom, um, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But I'll keep it short. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there are ways to misunderstand that, I think. Um one would be the, the miss the biggest misunderstanding that often occurs is that somehow that there's actually a break in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not an Orthodox understanding. That is that, that there's actually a disruption in the relationship of the divine persons of father, son, and spirit. And that, so that would be an easy misunderstanding mm-hmm. um, because that's doesn't fit with Trinitarian theology and understanding. So what is happening there? Well, I think uh, the simplest way to say it is that um, God actually does allow Jesus to be given, Jesus the human who is God incarnate, to actually be given over to the full effects and machine of human death. Mm -hmm. And that in that sense, he is not rescued from death. And as a real human, um, he, you remember just before this in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays what any of us would pray. God, you know, if you can remove this cup from me, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 is um, what his desire was. No one wants to suffer. And Jesus as a real human did not either. And he um, yet prays the ultimate prayer of faith, not my will, but your will be done, which for me, not only is, you know, a beautiful picture of Jesus's own model of faith, but I think at the end of the day, my most ultimate foundational prayer in my life too, mm-hmm. to just the way that applies to so many aspects of our lives. Like at the end of the day, the place of freedom is the place of submission. The place mm-hmm. of freedom is the place of saying, not my will, but your will be done and letting things go, casting our anxieties upon the Lord. And in the case of Jesus's death um, in God's plan and in Jesus's, you know, submission, he chooses to submit to the father's will he is actually given over to death. And and so in that sense, um, he really is abandoned and does experience it as a real human fully on our behalf. Of course, that's not the end of the story. He rises Mm -hmm. from the dead, Mm -hmm. but, but he, um, but I do think it's important to to not misunderstand that as if the Trinity itself is broken in some sense. And unfortunately, sometimes we think that way. So I don't know if that helps. I mean, it doesn't, there's the bigger question of the problem of suffering in the world. I mean, that's really, if that's the question, that's a huge one, right? Mm-hmm. Like how is there, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world with God being 
completely sovereign and all good. And, you know, that's probably the oldest, most troubling question that religious people have ever asked. And, and if you hadn't thought of it before, I just totally ruined your day. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a question that even not, even not religious people think about. And I think even kicking it off this episode with that, little microcosm of Jesus in the garden and on the cross, which is way more than a microcosm, but still, even with that light life example, um, what gets you through that? Like what kind of, and I'm kind of getting into this idea of philosophy as more than just something you learn, uh, in a, in a college class, but mm-hmm. what your philosophy of life, like, um, mm-hmm what do you have? What's your, what's your cosmology, your philosophy that helps get you through the hardest times, you know, uh, in your mm-hmm. life. And, uh, that's where, that's where your book, um, th- it catches my eye because, or it caught my eye because at first you think, um, Jesus is just a great philosopher in the sense that he's just one among many. But as you show thoroughly throughout the book that, uh, that Christianity stands out. So, I guess I want to get into get into that now. Um, what do you mean by Jesus as a philosopher? And um, you you start off the book um, imagining uh, a contemporary church where there's different banners of Jesus, like Christ the King or Christ the Lord, all these different the Redeemer, all of that, the Lamb of God. But then imagine if you see a banner hanging on a church that says Jesus the philosopher. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I thought that'd be that's yeah. that'd be pretty weird, but then you point out um, in uh, in Dura Europus of the church they really did have that in in this ancient mm-hmm. church. So I just mm-hmm. want to um, I started off more uh, than I would have liked to, but um, why don't you take it take it from there a little bit? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I, I mean, I I laugh every time at that illustration myself that I came up with. You know, uh, that. And in fact, I often now when I talk about it, I say there's actually two banners that would not be on our modern mm-hmm. church walls. One is philosopher, the other is exorcist, you know, even though that oh, is yeah. also something we see in the gospels a lot, you know, he's casting out demons, like mm-hmm. at least most of us, if you're not in a non-charismatic tradition, that's not a banner we have at our church. For example, we don't have exorcist on the wall, <laughs> but, but philosopher <clears throat> maybe is even more shocking uh, for those of us who've read the Bible because we don't think of Jesus as a philosopher and we don't, think of philosophy as a good thing. Um, and that's the, uh, you know, that's the point of the book, which is risky because I'm glad, Sam, that you said mm-hmm. the title caught your eye. You know, mm-hmm. some people might, it might poke them in the eye and not, and not be interested in them. But uh, the the idea is that um, in the ancient world, indeed, and through most of the church's history, um, thinking of Jesus as a philosopher was like a very important idea. It's not the only idea. It doesn't replace him being savior or king or other things like that. But I always like to say he's he's more than a philosopher, but he's not less than one. In other words, this is a really important part of how the Bible presents uh, Jesus. Um, but the other part of that that makes it difficult for us to understand is that when we think of philosophy, we typically think of something irrelevant and just for weird people and kind of like just abstract and not mm-hmm. real life. But that's not what philosophy was in the ancient world. Philosophy in the ancient world was really practical. Yes, it had some heady thoughts. Yes, it thought about what's the atomic nature of the universe and how do you define what a horse is? Is it a series of characteristics? Or, you know, there's all these big thoughts that Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and all these people have. 
but they always are wrestling with those things for the very practical reason of how do you really live well? And the only place we kind of still have that is in this like philosophy of life, the phrase you said there, Sam, like we still use that as a phrase, but other than that philosophy is kind of a negative and irrelevant thing to us. And I'm trying to kind of recapture the good of that word, I hope successfully. Um, but, uh, you know, it just means love of wisdom. And that's mm -hmm. the, that's the idea. And that's why Christians understood Jesus as a philosopher, because he was the ultimate one who teaches us wisdom that we might actually find life itself. And so that's kind of the point of the book. And it's, it's to integrate your whole life. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know uh, words like integration and human flourishing are important to you. Uh, mm -hmm. He has a podcast too, where I don't know if you do or someone else does, but they post uh, sermons that, that you've given, but mm -hmm. it's called human flourishing. Mm -hmm. Something yeah, yeah. to right. that effect. Yep. Yep. But, but you can, you, you can hear him preach, but the idea of human flourishing is important and that involves being mm -hmm. integrated with this whole philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask like, what's, what's behind the, uh, the human flourishing part for you? Mm -hmm. What does that, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this book, Jesus Great Philosopher is really the, um, kind of the next step from a book before that called the sermon on the Mount and human flourishing, mm -hmm. which came out, uh, it came about as a result of, as you mentioned, I did my PhD in Matthew and teach the gospels a lot and preach and teach a lot. And over the years, I started to concentrate more on the sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. which is Matthew chapter five to seven. And when I started teaching and focusing on that, I had, I quickly realized I had no idea what I was talking about. No, even though I knew a little bit about Matthew, uh, because the Sermon on the Mount's the most studied and preached upon and books written about portion of the Bible by orders of magnitude than any other portion of the Bible. There's mm -hmm. no, I always joke that, you know, it's got its own library of Congress numbers. <laughs> wow. So in other words, like not only does like all the books on Matthew and all the history of, you know, that are cataloged by the Library of Congress. That's got its own section, BS 2575. I happen to know what it is because I spent a lot of time there. But but then the Sermon on the Mount has its whole own section because there's been so many books written about it, so many sermons preached about it, and people wrestled with it. And so really quickly, I started to realize, oh, I don't have any idea what I'm doing uh, with this. And so I began to get myself an education in, um, you know, ethics, like, like in Trinity, we both had a class in ethics, which is great, but I certainly was no expert in ethics. Mm -hmm. And I, so I had to kind of study that more. And then Greek philosophy came into it because there were a lot of overlaps and all that say human flourishing came to be the word that I and many other people use to describe really kind of shockingly what the Bible is about. Mm. Um, you want to call it happiness you know, that's another word, but that word has become pretty weak in English. Mm -hmm. It just kind of means like a temporary emotional state. But the the Greek words behind it and the Hebrew words behind it are maybe the closest Hebrew word that might correlate would be something like shalom, mm -hmm. uh, which I think maybe kind of makes sense to people, kind of like a deep sense of a good life. But in Greek culture, um, the a couple of the words they use for it that Aristotle and other people use are words that we also find in the Bible, mm -hmm. um, particularly um, the word makarios, which is what is the word we meet in the Beatitudes mm -hmm. in, in the Sermon on the Mount. That is um, That idea is this 
idea of experiencing a fullness of life or John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Mm-hmm. And so I'll let's say that this human flourishing idea for me was, it was a journey to recognize that's like, you know, that that's even not only part of the Bible and that God's not opposed to that, but that's actually really a great way to describe what God is about. He is about restoring humanity to the fullness of what he's made us to be. Mm-hmm. And the only way that ultimately can happen is through the incarnation and the life and model and then death, suffering and death and resurrection, ascension and session or seating of Jesus. That's what enables us to be to have humanity be rebooted, mm-hmm. as it were, and for us to re-engage with what we're designed to be, which is to enter into the fullness of human flourishing or shalom. So that's kind of a nutshell of the idea. <laughs> maybe that's a longer answer than you wanted, but maybe or maybe you want to follow up on that. No, so it's it's more than just Jesus, like John 10 10. Jesus didn't just give us eternal life, or right. he just didn't die for our sins. But there's so much more to it. There's this whole uh, human flourishing aspect. Louis, you have a thought? Both, n- both now and in the future. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, that's part of it is that unfortunately, a lot of times we've kind of talked about the gospel and salvation as if it's this completely future oriented, disembodied mm-hmm. existence in heaven or something. And mm-hmm. that's just not the Bible story, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's an embodied resurrected new creation of shalom and flourishing that we taste now partially. And then we're leaning into and hoping toward when God restores that completely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ma, that's good stuff. That's I'm just soaking it in. I'm, I'm coming in this like a dry sponge. Well, <laughs> for real. Well, awesome. And this idea has been really important to me too. And for, uh, for bumper sticker faith, you know, as we stare at the big BS back there, mm-hmm. uh, it stands for bumper sticker because, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I felt like I was very disintegrated, uh, in mm-hmm. my life where I, I sure. did compartmentalize different areas. Mm-hmm. And like, I knew that Jesus, his death was, was more for than just my forgiveness. I knew that, but still there are components in my life that were cut off from me that I didn't, mm-hmm. uh, that I was out of touch with or compartmentalized. I didn't feel like they were part of my story or Christian journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. parts of yourself that you like to hide and then you mm-hmm. become a chameleon in certain, uh, areas and you're just, you're just not real, you know, you're superficial. Yeah. And so for me, it, it's even more than, it's even more than just God wants a, a, um, a complete good life for us here, mm. but it's we need, as Christians especially, need to learn how to um, g- get all of ourselves on board, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that, that, thanks for sharing that, that wholeness that we all struggle to have. And we won't, we won't ever have it completely this side of our resurrected new creation experience. But yeah, that is the... That's the way forward is to recognize the disintegration that marks our lives. Um, and this is what the Sermon on the Mount is ultimately about, is Jesus is pointing out that it's not only very possible, but it's actually very easy, especially for religious people, mm-hmm. to live a disintegrated life because our religion can actually serve as a means of our self-deception mm-hmm. as well as a deception of others that we're really not paying attention to what's going on inside. And Mm -hmm. we can really 
we can use religion to focus on the outside of our lives and really clean clean up the outside of our lives. But the Sermon on the Mount, particularly, and Matthew is this is a key to Matthew's whole point in his gospel, is that um, an externally righteous life is not is meaningless mm -hmm. if our heart is not connected to God, mm -hmm. and and that's what hypocrisy is in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm -hmm. I know when we think of the word hypocrisy, we think of someone who's like living a double life, like they say one thing and then they're doing the opposite thing. That That is a kind of hypocrisy, mm -hmm. but actually the more penetrating and devastating and more um, shocking form of hypocrisy is when you act, you and I actually live a good life. We mm -hmm. actually are good people like on the outside, but we've lost, we never had, or we lost connection with God at the heart level. And that's a really... Um, scary place and a dangerous place and that's what jesus is not condemning us for not shaming us for he's inviting us to see that about ourselves and to repent and to find wholeness um, by being honest about mm -hmm. what's really going on inside our lives but even in the the parable of the the, the guy who cleans his house and and the, you know the demons leave you know it's a, he he cleans and orders his house the demons leave and then the demons see that he's cleaned and ordered his house and they come back uh sevenfold, you know, seven more or whatever. And I've heard that taught and preached mm -hmm. on before. And, and, and they'll usually say, well, the reason why the demons came back is because the house was empty. No one was living in there and you really need to have Christ in your life. I don't disagree with that, but the text mm -hmm. doesn't say that. The text says that the attractive things to the demons was the fact that he ordered it and he cleaned it. And so to me, there's like, mm -hmm. there's something about, there's something attractive to the demonic there's something demonic about being overly like you said externally clean mm -hmm. and put in order especially if jesus is talking to pharisees at that point where mm -hmm. you're just doing your works just uh, for outward reasons but your heart is is far from him that's a that's a dangerous place to be in and that's a quote that jesus uses also from isaiah 11 later in matthew also this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me it, and it's challenging yeah. it's, it's it's a little bit difficult and it's becoming easier as time goes on for me to relate to this because my context of learning about god and about christ and accepting christ i was in prison and so mm -hmm. living in a fishbowl where a light is always shining on you and even more so mm -hmm. More than anything else in prison, if you're carrying the banner of Christianity or Christ, it's the brightest mm -hmm. light from everyone. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. everyone, at least for me early on, they knew the Bible better than me, you know, because it was all fresh mm -hmm. and new for me. And so mm -hmm. early on, there was a decision I had to make. Was I going to be the same on the inside as I am on the outside? Mm -hmm. Because people wow. going to see it. You, It's mm -hmm. impossible. You can do so much behind that cell door. Yeah. <clears throat> with the celly, by, by the way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who can mm -hmm. shine the, the brightest light on you because they're mm -hmm. the most intimate space with you mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you just see the people easily who, you know, are faking it to make it and, and people don't take wow. them seriously. And they get, those are the guys that get beat up the most, mm -hmm. not physically, mm -hmm. but just like disrespected the most mm -hmm. because they see mm -hmm. the inauthenticity, unauthenticity of, yeah. inauthenticity. Authenticity, authenticity of it. There you go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, you know, and it's like I, I wasn't gonna be that guy. Like mm -hmm. I really mm -hmm. wanted Christ. I really embraced Him. And then it was a challenge we all have of, of living that out. You know, as we mm -hmm. learn, we live it out. 
<clears throat> because we love him. And so it became, it wasn't easy for me to do that because that was my mindset and that's where my heart was at. It was easy for me to do that and take my lumps and keep taking my lumps mm -hmm. along the way. But then I get out into the real world and it's almost like, who are these people that's carrying mm -hmm. the same banner mm -hmm. as I am? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. just seeing mm -hmm. how they're, you know, there's a difference between an immature Christian and a person who says they're a Christian and are not. Mm-hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and so you can, mm -hmm. it, it's not that quick, but when you're around people long enough, you can kind of tell those who are still on milk versus mm -hmm. those who ain't in Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's just mm -hmm. like, like, why play that game? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Why why play the church game and be in this group game and speak a little, you know, Christianese game mm -hmm. when that mm -hmm. really ain't who you are, what you about on the inside? Like that's the ultimate form of hypocrisy to me. Yeah. That's just straight demonic, if you will. That's why I like you so much, Lewis. <laughs> that's why you're good for me. <laughs> that's really powerful. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. I I um have known a very dear friend of mine is has been deeply involved in prison ministry for decades. And so over the years in connection with him, I've spent a fair amount of time with people that have become mm. Christians and, and have gotten out of prison. And such mm. what you just described there, Lewis, is um what I've heard especially kind of the culture shock of coming out of a prison environment into society it's like the prison's horrible i gather but it's also simple in some ways like in that everything's straightforward light shined mm -hmm. on like yep. that's a great way where in the lives that we live out in society it's a lot more complicated yeah and for good and for bad and but it makes it easier to um to self-deceive or deceive others about what's really going on. So I, I appreciate what you're saying there too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a mm -hmm. lot of times, you know, churches don't necessarily help that. They mm -hmm. like perpetuate mm -hmm. that because that's right. They're not really preaching the gospel. It's all about positive motivational speeches and get plugged in here and do this and do that and pat yourself on the back and feel good. And let's throw a party by mm -hmm. having a baptism, which we don't even know if the person <laughs> even knows who Christ is, but they want to mm -hmm. get dunked. Let's dunk them and celebrate. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, like that, that crushes me, man. Mm -hmm. That crushes mm -hmm. me. You know, how many people have this false sense of security that's mm -hmm. been perpetuated by supposed leaders in supposedly a church? Mm -hmm. It's sad, man. It's sad. And I, I, I think you're right. I, I think, Two thoughts I have about that. One is church doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Every church is imperfect. I know at our church, <laughs> the church where I'm one of the pastors, we really are, you know, we're imperfect and there's problems for sure. But we really emphasize mm -hmm. the importance of vulnerability and brokenness. And we have a lot mm -hmm. of space for people to be on their own journey of psychological healing and social healing and physical healing as well. And that, um, I, yeah, but you're right. A lot of churches don't really, they, that makes them really uncomfortable. And so then it perpetuates this um, exterior focus on religion. Yeah. And that, and that leads to the second thought is that, you know, when we read the gospels, I always tell my students and my church that it's easy to think that we're reading them like that we're on Jesus's side and we're like, yeah, you take down the man. You know, we see Jesus taking down the man. We love it when he takes down the man, you know, um, like taking down the Pharisees. But the whole point of the gospels is that we're supposed to see ourselves in them. In other words, like to see that we have that tendency to be the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. One of the gospels is not for us to be like snooty towards the Pharisees. That would be deeply ironic yeah. because that's the whole point. That's what, remember the Pharisee and the tax collector mm -hmm. from Luke 18, 
I thank you. I'm not like that like man that over man. there. Right. Mm-hmm. And and we can do that when we read the Pharisees, like mm-hmm. the point of the Pharisees, is not for us to be mad at any Jewish people or Jewish yeah. Pharisees. The point is us for say, to what degree is this true of my life? Mm-hmm. And the same tendency that we have individually and corporately as the church to make our religion about exterior rather than about what's really going on. Inside yeah. I had to, I had to repent because for years I would talk bad about Peter. And then it hit me one day in so many ways I've been Mm -hmm. just like Peter and Mm -hmm. Peter is to me, in my opinion, the greatest representation Mm -hmm. of what the Christian life is like with him being Kung Ho for Christ and vacillating. So I don't know who this man is. (laughs) And then having Mm -hmm. lack of faith Mm -hmm. when the resurrected Christ is commissioning him to feed his sheep. Like you see this up and down, And it's like, Mm -hmm. I thank God for what we know about Peter in the Gospels because he represents, he represents mankind, Mm -hmm. you know, and living a life and struggling. So I had to, I had to say, God, forgive me Mm. because I was like, how could this, you, you saw Jesus, you was with Jesus and one, you're cutting people's Malchus's ear off. And the next minute you're like, I don't know this guy. I don't know him. Jesus (laughs) who? Because you're scared for your life. It's like, how does a dude do that? Like, you ain't a stand-up dude. It's like, you know what? I'm a coward. Mm. Just When I'm sinning, mm. when I'm agreeing with what I want instead of agreeing with what Christ wants for me, I'm being a coward and a punk, mm. just like Peter was. Mm. And I'm mm. I'm worse than Peter. You know, so mm. so I, I, love, I love the Gospels because, I mean, I've never heard anyone say what you just said, but I totally agree. Like, it's mm. for us to see ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and not to be casting judgment. And I don't want to be a Pharisee. And to me, it's the ones who are doing what you're talking about doing. Those are the modern day Pharisees. I remember that Mm -hmm. was that DC Talk modern day Pharisee was one of their songs. (laughs) And I was that was one of the first songs I heard when Mm -hmm. I got saved. And I didn't understand what it meant. I didn't even Mm -hmm. know what a Pharisee was. I'm like modern Mm -hmm. day Pharisee, but that always stuck with me. And Mm -hmm. always, Mm -hmm. once I learned about the Pharisees, that's the farthest thing I want to be. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be a non-believer than to be a Pharisee, yeah. which in some cases to be a Pharisee is to be mm-hmm. a non-believer. But it's like them dudes was tripping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's so a good they, final word of the Pharisees. Them yeah. dudes was tripping. <laughs> they was tripping. <laughs> they was tripping. Mike drop my next book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Hey, you, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. You might get some new either, some new readers, right, right. new either, subscribers. Either that or Peter the Punk. <laughs> Peter the Punk. <laughs> that punk too. Peter. No, I agree. I'm, you so know, I'm, I mean, I love what I love what you're saying, Louis. I just say, you know, what's beautiful about Peter as well is that he's wholehearted, like in his joy and faith mm-hmm. and in his failure. What you see about Peter, he is himself. Yep. And so, even mm-hmm. though he fails and stumbles, which is a model for us, I mean, that 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 is exactly Peter is the ultimate model for us because he is full of faith and full of struggles. But what's in. consistent about him is that he's whole, he he's he's true. Yep. You know, Amen. I mean? Ain't and, no faking it, Peter. This, this fakeness, right? Yeah. No that, and that's your definition of integrity, right? Mm-hmm. Wholeheartedness. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, and righteousness, even according to Matthew, is whole person behavior that accords with God's will, nature, and coming kingdom. In other words, what it means to do right, which is what righteousness means in the Bible most of the time, is that you're you're a whole person your reasoning your affections your heart your loves and your actions all are harmonious Mm. that's what it means to have virtue that's what it means to be whole that's what it means to have integrity that there's not a disjunction between our thinking our feeling and our doing our head heart and hands Mm -hmm. sometimes we say now the reality is we all 
have areas of our lives and moments and seasons of our lives where, and always to some degree, we're not whole completely, mm-hmm. but that's the aspiration and that's the work of the spirit in us is that we're in- becoming increasingly integrated between these aspects of what it means to be human, thinking, reasoning, or thinking, feeling, and doing. But the the people that most people think of in the New Testament, like everybody's Paul, 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 Paul was great. Like I love Paul to death. But but like again, going back to Peter, like Jesus asking Peter to shepherd his people. Like if that's not the biggest, most intimate thing that Christ could ask any man to do, he sees mm-hmm. something in Peter his heart mm-hmm. for him really. Right. And the struggle with his flesh to be on zeal for him on one minute to walk on water, but then to deny him and, and then question what Jesus is saying, you know, it's, it's just beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. New Testament, you're a new Testament guy. I I'm, I'm diving into the old Testament more, not because I don't believe in the old Testament, but because I don't, I guess I cut my teeth more so on the new Testament for years and of course, the narratives are somewhat easier to understand in the Old Testament than a lot of the major prophets, even some of the minor prophets, because you got to mm-hmm. relate other mm-hmm. books together to really get the fullness of it. It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. But what have you seen, in your opinion, that you would say the biggest thing that people get wrong in the New Testament, whether it be mm-hmm. like women in ministry, whether it be Jesus went down to heaven and took the keys from Satan and fought him, <laughs> like all these different misconceptions, bumper stickers, what have you. What would you say in your opinion is the biggest thing you've run across mm. uh, of that people get wrong about the, just anything in the New Testament? Yeah, that's, great. that's <laughs> a great question. Um, I think I'd kind of relate it back to something I was saying before in terms of even understanding what the gospel is okay, um, and what the message and work of Jesus is. Um, again, in our tradition, we tend to talk about it, not wrongly, um, as, you know, personal forgiveness of sins, um, like in a kind of judicial or legal category that, mm-hmm. you know, my I've sinned, I've broken the law, Jesus forgives me. And I can then go to heaven. And that's mm-hmm. not wrong. I mean, that's, I don't want that to go away. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think it's pretty clear from the old and especially the New Testament that the gospel itself is something bigger than that. That's a necessary part of the gospel. But the gospel is that God is returning to restore his reign upon the earth. And through his King Jesus, who has become in it became a real human and enabled that to happen and suffered and died and, you know, rose and ascended and seated, like I said, and that to what the gospel really is, is the, the message that God is restoring humanity through the work and model of Jesus to become fully human again. And that that's the end goal is the recreation of the world, the renewal of the whole mm-hmm. world, including of humanity itself. And so, I I think why people 
miss, I understand they miss that in the New Testament. And again, I don't want, I don't want our message of legal forgiveness of sins to go away. That's central as well. But I think when we only have that as the kind of lens to to read the New Testament, we miss so many crucial things. And we even miss the bigger idea that God's inviting us into a kingdom. He's inviting us into a community of people that inhabit the world in certain ways. And, and the Jesus, the Great Philosopher book, I mean, this is a big part of what this is talking about, is that Christianity is an invitation to learn to see and be in the world in a certain way that is inaugurated by modeled by and empowered by uh, Jesus, you know, by the triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what Christianity is, an invitation to learn to inhabit the world in a certain way as we look forward to the renewal of the whole world. So I wish people would see that more, and I think people are increasingly, And um, but maybe that's not the answer you were thinking, like no, you I didn't have a, some hot, I didn't some have hot topic, yeah, you know, some hot topic issue, but I think it's more kind of this bigger issue of like, what really is the gospel? It's this bigger message of the restoration of, of the world, I think. And, and restoration to uh, glorification too. That's right. Or yep. what the Orthodox call theosis, even more yep. <laughs> shocking of a term. Mm-hmm. But that's something that I'm really interested in. Uh, I don't know if you have uh, thoughts or direction for that, but that's part of the whole story. Like it's the down up thing where Jesus came down and then he went back up, you know, all the way ascended. And same is for us. We're, we're not just forgiven. We don't just have that cross moment of forgiveness, but uh, we go down in order to go all the way back up to, in a sense, our, our glorified selves become partakers in the divine nature, uh, whatever that means. Uh, but I think that, yeah, we don't, most, a lot of Christians don't have that as a part of the of their story and of their thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and it would help so it would help so much in this life if we did, knowing that mm-hmm. that's uh, we have more of that glorious ending. But I don't know. Could you talk about glorification uh, more and um, what's happening there, yeah. or what might happen there? <laughs> yeah, it's something I'm interested certainly. in. Yeah, even Romans eight. Obviously, that's the end goal of like justification all the way up to glorification yeah. right that's the, where it goes i mean there's a mystery obviously we don't know exactly what that looks like first corinthians 15 you know it kind of starts to bump into that mystery with what our glorified or resurrected body is going to be like mm-hmm. there's a sense in which we can understand that and of course a sense which we can't because we don't have not known that experience um, it's like my Pomeranians understanding my occupation. That's what I always, you know, say that like when I, whenever I say goodbye to my beautiful little Pomeranians, as I walk out the door and say, I love you. I'll see you later. Um, I, I always think, what if they understand I'm going to do almost nothing, <laughs> you know, and that's like us understanding God. Like we don't really have any a way to con- have a concept of what God really knows and understands. And I think when we think about the future, it's a, it's a situation we cannot understand fully. Um, but I do think it's very much related to what I was saying, that our goal is not a disembodied get out of mm-hmm. the world, this horrible world end game. It's instead that God is going and is in the process and is going to fully restore creation, including the apex of creation, which is humanity. Um, for those who are in Christ, we will be fully renewed and restored and glorification is one kind of theological way to describe that. Um, but I think it's, that's the same thing of being restored to the fullness of our humanity. I think is the idea. I was just reading in, uh, Thomas Traherne. 
I don't know if you're familiar. C.S. Lewis loved Thomas Traherne. He was born in like the 1600s. I think C.S. Lewis said he, next to Shakespeare, he was the greatest writer in English that he had ever encountered. Mm. But he has this little phrase um, about the human soul, and he called the soul uh, the masterpiece of eternal power. And that just stopped mm. me in my tracks. Like, mm. the my soul, your soul, the masterpiece of eternal power. It's like, that's... Um, that's amazing to me. It's a great phrase. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so much more than the typical person might think of themselves. And if, and if you know that you're the masterpiece of eternal power, how much more will then God do what he's promised that he's going to do to re, yeah. to restore and to, and to keep being involved. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a guy last night, a friend, and he was saying, I wonder what hell's going to be like. And I was like, Hmm, like, what what do you think right now? You know, and basically he was just saying he feels like he knows he's going to heaven, but there's a curiosity he has almost as if like he wish he could be like in a in a spaceship to like traverse hell to see mm. what's going on there, but like not to stop and get off the ship, but to ride it back up to heaven. And I was just like, wow, that's an interesting question. And I mean, I think the Bible gives us some some indications like I kind of went to the rich man and Lazarus, you know, and we could see with the rich man, the torment of, you know, you just dip your finger in the water and touch the tip of my tongue. And it's like, what's that really going to do? Like he must be in a lot of suffering if he thinks that's going to give him relief. Mm -hmm. You know, he remembered his brothers and asked that they could go back and, and, and share the gospel with them basically. And so like, like there's, I think like there's memory. So you must have memory and feelings and stuff like that. But then it's like, well, then what's heaven going to be like? Are we going to remember, like, if we have family members? You know, and I'm like, man, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. You know, and, and for me, I guess I'm a simple-minded person. I'm not what I call a brainy. Like, I consider you guys brainiac people, not in a bad way. Like, your minds are wired differently and to go deeper than mine. And I just, I don't have the ability. I've tried more than a few times to, like, get deeper into things. And my mind just can't. It just can't go, you know, it's like the little train that that could, but he couldn't. And I'm just like, you know what? I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. And I believe that I'm going to heaven. And I think it's where Jesus is and wherever he is. That's where I mm -hmm. want to be. And that's good enough for me. I don't have I'm not inquisitive about more detail about it. Mm -hmm. And if the Bible has more, that's great. But I just I just don't have that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But but I'd like to hear your thought like. Could you expound more just from a New Testament standpoint? Do you think there's a lot more to be known about these two places? I think I'd say the same thing as what I was just saying about our future, the, the Christian's future state. Um, we have some things we can understand from the Bible and the same. So too with those um, who are not in Christ is the opposite. But again, it's, we, we can't know that experience. I think the text you referenced and others, are the best we can do, but mm. I think we have to have a, you know, humility of that. We don't understand these things except for what is clear that we need to be in Christ. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, what's the point of those passages I think is to exhort us to find life in Jesus. You know? And and for me, like people that are very intellectual, I find it so fascinating that they find Christ. Because I feel like the, the simpletons like me, it's kind of like, okay, wow. 
wow, like, yes. I don't have to go, like, keep digging mm-hmm. till I get to the pay dirt or whatever. Whereas to me, to have that mind that keeps wanting to know, like, because there's so much stuff that we can't know, you know, to the intellectual, that would be enough to say, can't be mm-hmm. real because I can't find the answer to it. And I'm I, I'm actually glad that my mind is the way it is. Maybe maybe I'm selling out to a certain degree. I don't feel like I am because things I can't understand. I like digging deep mm-hmm. and, and learning more. But I get to a point to where it's like I'm settled in my spirit that what I know I have peace mm-hmm. in. And now let me let me start putting into practice these things I'm learning yeah. and I'm digging about instead of just keep digging this hole to attain knowledge. Yeah. And that's all I'm doing is digging a hole to yep. get knowledge. I want to talk about uh, you, in your book, you talk about emotions and relationships mm-hmm. and friendships. So mm-hmm. let's go into um, so, so a couple those two areas. Uh, start with uh, emotions. You, the emotions chapter is is I, I really like it. Really good. Um, you sort of trace um, our understanding of emotions in our culture and that, and and then in the Bible and Jesus as an emotional, well, as having emotions too. So um, let's talk about let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the thanks. Yeah, we, we're going wide ranging, which yeah. is great. Uh, but to, yeah, to bring it back to the book, the first half of the Jesus Great Philosopher book is is just trying to show that philosophy is a good way to think about what the whole Bible is about. Again, the, what I was saying, the um, the I didn't say it this way, but the the big human questions that we've always asked, like what's the nature of reality, and how do you really know what's true, and what is the true, the good, and the beautiful, and how do you live according to it, and what are, you know, what are our relationships supposed to be like? All that are the big philosophical questions of the mm-hmm. ancient world and and are the questions we care about today as well. And the whole point of the first half of the book is to say, when you reread the Bible with those questions, it turns out it has a lot to say about it. And that that's actually a really good set of questions to go to the Bible with that we've kind of forgotten to ask it. You know, we only mm-hmm. think of the Bible is like the religious part of our lives, right? So that's the first part of the book. And then the second part is I just say, okay, well, if that's true, what are some really practical aspects of our lives that we can maybe rethink um, by going to the Bible and going to Christianity? And it turns out, and I just took my cues from the ancient philosophers, turns out that the ancient philosophers, famous people, you've heard their names like Aristotle and Plato and others, Turns out there were a lot of things they talked about, but three of the big ones were, um, what are our emotions and how do you deal with them? Uh, the second is, what are friendships and relationships? What What's the best, what's the role they play in our lives? And then the third is the big question of what it means to be truly happy or flourish. And so what I do in the second half of the book then is I take each of those topics and I just say, okay, well, what have what have ancient people said about this? And, and all the way up to today, and then what does the Bible say? And in every case, I found that the Bible and Christianity provides a very thoughtful, satisfying, nuanced, practical answers to these questions. And on emotions, I I was very happy to see that. But in the first part of that, those, there's like two, there's three pairings of mm-hmm. chapters. So the first part, I trace emotions in the ancient world and all the way up to modern approaches. And 
you know, it's all over the place. Our emotions, just chemicals that are, we just are experiencing. We wrongly just kind of make up that it's a feeling or are they responses to um, various stimuli or training, you know, situations we've been trained. So like if you've had a great steak many times and then it arrives on a plate in front of you, you know, your body starts to respond to it, salivating mm -hmm. and things like that. And so the ancient people and modern people thought a lot about that. And, and the reality is it's probably some of both, right? I mean, our emotions are chemical reactions. There are things that are, we're enculturated into and trained, and they are psychological responses to things that we value, et cetera. And so I just kind of talk about that. And then I say, okay, well, let's look at the Bible. What does it say? And the shortest answer to say about it is that the Bible cares a lot about our emotions because to be human is to have emotions. They're not a bad thing. Uh, they can be out of control. They can be, uh, they can make us do really stupid things. But if, but the goal of, according to the Bible is not to get rid of emotions. It's not to um, vilify them. It's not to stuff them. Um, this is what the, the uh, Stoics did, who were really popular philosophy in the ancient world. Um, you know, it's more nuanced than that, but basically they, um, emphasize that the key to be happy was actually to get rid of your attachments to anything in the world so that you don't they're not affected by them if we want to we could talk about avatar the last airbender if you want if you guys can can connect to that um uh, but you know one of the things that happens in the philosophy of of avatar you, you know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. right the okay okay one of the things that talks that happens in avatar it's basically buddhism um which is very similar to stoicism that says the key to be to life is to be detached but shockingly ang at one point rejects the basically buddhist guru in this fictional world because he loves his friends mm. and he rejects the final chakra of detachment and says, no, I care about my friends too much. And mm -hmm. I, and I love these people. And so I'm not going to go down the way of detachment towards happiness, which is actually very sophisticated philosophy. Of course, I think, you know, I'm not receiving Aang into my, as my Lord and savior or something, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying that's the ultimate, I think, I think the Bible's philosophy is even better. But at least that's an improvement over what a lot of people do is just say, hey, emotions are bad and we need to get rid of them and get rid of attachments and just kind of be separate. The Bible says, no, to be emotional is to be human. To be human mm -hmm. is to be emotional. But he's also calling us to learn to have those emotions be shaped by God um, so that our lives are marked by love and joy. Think about all the emotions that are in the Bible, love and joy and peace and patience. Even they're either direct emotions or things that come from emotions, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things matter. And God's shaping us to be more like that. Um, and the way forward is not to, you know, say get rid of emotions mm -hmm. and that's bad to be emotional nor is it to just be a victim of your emotions mm -hmm. right that's you can fall off the edge on either side the knife edge on either side and just say well whatever i feel is who i am and whatever i feel is what i have to do you know the god's calling us and inviting us to over time mature and become more whole by having our again our thoughts and our emotions and our bodies be in harmony with each other and with who God is. Mm -hmm. And so that's what those chapters are about. And, and we're really, I enjoyed writing them. I enjoyed all that I learned from thinking about them and, 
and are very practical. I mean, I feel emotions every day, like all of us. And I, and it's helpful for me to like process them and pay attention to what's going on when I'm feeling this. And that's important part of my growth in Christ. How has that helped you as a parent with your own, with your own family and kids? Yeah. Well, I've got six kids. Yeah. I didn't say that before. And uh, they're all, the youngest is 18 now. Okay. Uh, but so they're, but we're all still very involved in each other's lives and they're connected together a lot in town here. And um, yeah, I wish, I wish I would have understood this stuff and had the maturity mm-hmm. to understood this, understand this stuff when our kids were younger. I mean, it's never too late. Um, but, and I've changed and grown a lot in my parenting, but I think being sensitive to the complexity and the goodness of emotions while also helping your kids and yourself learn to process them and also to have them mature. And again, it's easy to fall off the knife edge on either mm-hmm. side. I think a lot of times parents got varies depends on the parents. Like you either stuff, like yeah. you don't, you can't handle your kids' emotions, the, the anxiety that, that causes you and the disruption. And, and you know, sometimes it's true. They, they do just need to be, especially when they're little, you know, but, but our t- some people, they're going to tend to stuff their kids' emotions. And of course, that's never going to work out well mm-hmm. sooner or later that's going to create a conflict um but you can also not as a parent do a really bad job of just thinking whatever a kid feels is what you have to do mm-hmm. you know and you can fall off the knife edge i i may just be getting old it may just be old man syndrome here <laughs> but it seems generationally my generation and older probably tended to err on the stuffing emotion mm-hmm. side which has bad in it Mm -hmm. it seems as a pastor i don't know but it seems that just looking at people that are younger than me maybe 40 and below that have kids it seems more of them are not aware of that as much and tend to just kind of think whatever our kids are feeling is the most important thing Mm -hmm. and it's probably coming as a pendulum reaction Mm -hmm. against their upbringing not being valued their emotions not being valued Mm -hmm. when they're bringing bringing and then things in culture that have changed too and i think both are both are are not good you know um i think the truth is always a knife edge of recognizing and valuing emotions and also then helping them be shaped in a certain way and i just wish i would have learned that sooner as a father um i feel like i'm decent at that now but you know our kids are grown and and I have some repairing to do, you know, in, in ways that I've hurt my children by not being sensitive enough to them, you know, hmm. so I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Without a doubt, man. Thanks for being transparent on that. That's, that's real talk yeah. right there. Yep. That's real talk. And one, one area to do another, uh, big move here <laughs> to another part of the book, but one area where you can, uh, get your emotions and emotional needs met in, in a healthy way is through relationships and friendships where you're able to uh, be real with that person and, uh, and, and, and be uh, display integrity, I guess, wholeness with them. So uh, towards the end of the book, not the very end, but um, you talk about uh, relationships. And I thought it was a one interesting thing that I pulled out of it was uh, like the marriage relationship and mm. friendships and how, mm. how those were understood in ancient times versus modern times and you you pointed out something that that was very interesting just worth thinking about that uh, we've elevated marriage so it's like the ultimate thing in, in many ways it should be but to the ancient mind uh, uh, 
another, um, not ultimate thing, but maybe even it got a little bit, um, more emphasis was friendships even Mm -hmm, over marriage and that the primary Mm -hmm. place for like a guy or a person to, uh, get the relational needs was through their, their same sexed Mm -hmm. friends or, Mm -hmm. or, or either, I guess, but through friendships rather than, rather than marriage. So that was, Mm-hmm. I don't think you hear that in the, in the, in the church today. Um, the importance of friendships. Yeah. There's so much there. And, uh, I've continued to try to kind of think about how to think about that Christianly for sure. Yeah. Well, especially value. as a, as a, as a pastor, uh, a spiritual mm-hmm. formation pastor, you work with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, for sure in the ancient world, friendship was seen as more valuable than marriage. Yeah. Uh, marriage is important for society structure and raising of children, et cetera. But in terms of like your real emotional and relational needs were more on friendship and a lot of cultures, that's true. And today as well, from a Judeo Christian perspective, it is a little different, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because the male female bond in a marital sense is in our creation account and is Mm -hmm. really crucial to that. But that doesn't deny the importance of friendship. I, I think they would have understood that with a heavy dose and a heavy frame of friendship all around it. Um, and so I would say that from a Judeo-Christian perspective, from the Jewish-Christian tradition, that marriage is the primary relationship that not everyone experiences, though. I mean, that that's part of it, too, is that not only is there a time when you're not married, many people never get married, many people get divorced, and then almost always one spouse dies before the other. So it's, it is a really good challenge for us to realize that marriage is not the, it's not the defining part of what it means to be human Hmm. really, but anybody can and should have friends at any stage and in all stages. And I do, I do think, you know, I know our time's running along here, so this could be a whole other episode or a whole other conversation. But I do think the friendship, the lack of intentionality and habits of friendship, same gender or cross gender, but same gender is a little easier <laughs> to do. It doesn't get as messy. But the the that focus is the lack of that is one of our greatest problems in modern society. Mm. I think the, lo- the loneliness ac- epidemic that is true of us the ways that have not having good friends um, removes a lot of stability and social stability and structure in our lives. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are of an overly sexualized culture, uh, meaning that we think of everything in terms of sexual terms, what mm-hmm. some people call the Freud factor that like everything becomes like a sexual mm-hmm. joke or a sexual, you know, secret underneath it or a sexual innuendo. And it's hard to escape that because it's just part of our culture that that really distorts us as people because sexuality is an important part of being human, but it's not the fundamental mm-hmm. part of being human. Again, there's a time when we're non-sexual creatures and there's a time where we're not going to be sexual creatures, right? The sexuality part is just a, a phase of our lives, granted a, an important phase, but it's not what it means to fundamentally be human. And I think when we look about look at our society you know, not only we have this over, overly sexualized that our identity is defined by our sexuality, but also um, because we don't have a strong pattern of friendships, when we feel affection for somebody else, same gender or opposite gender, we get confused and think that's a sexual attraction when a lot of times it's just the natural good beauty of having a great friend. Mm-hmm. In other words, affection, physical affection and emotional connection 
that's the category of friendship mm -hmm. or you know some relationships that will also then become romantic but that's the subset yeah. the real thing is friendship so right? then people may pull back from uh, attempting friendships or seeking friendships when they feel that because they think of in think of it in these subcategories rather than just a, no, as a healthy friendship yeah and they just get distorted in our yeah. practice and our hearts i mean wow. it's um especially across gender it's really easy to um, feel like to just mess up male, female relationships or female, male relationships, um, because we only have the sexual framework to interpret them through, mm. you know? And I want to learn more about that. I never heard, heard of this before. It's mm -hmm. interesting to me. Very interesting. So then you, uh, you wind up with the book, just talking about not just, but talking about happiness and human flourishing, um, I don't want to get into that. I don't think, I think we're running out of time. Um, well, I can give it, I can give a two sentence thing. Oh, absolutely. You, that, can, you that can give God as long as you about, have. Yeah. yeah. God cares about happiness, um, but it, he doesn't define it in the way that the world does. It turns out that true happiness or human flourishing or shalom only comes through suffering mm -hmm. and that our lives, and this is how Jesus is again, the model for us, um, that our lives are marked by both griefs and joys of both limits and losses and goodness and flourishing. And that all of that is really what true happiness and flourishing is. And that's not what we expect. It's not what our flesh wants, mm. but it's the way that God has made the world and, and, and the way God is redeeming the world and its brokenness is that our lives are mixed and mm -hmm. that's okay. True happiness and flourishing can be found in the midst of suffering, loss, and um and goodness all mixed together wow well man it's been um man it's been a blessing you know this morning i've, I've definitely learned some stuff which is good um it's always good to meet a new brother in christ and mm -hmm. you know we all a part of the same team just in different Absolutely. areas working in different parts and so um if if there was any one last thing you'd like to share with our listeners um that you haven't shared this morning or reiterate something that you have would you have anything you'd like to leave them with as a parting um statement or thought yeah thanks lewis and thanks sam it's good to reconnect with you and to meet you lewis yeah um i just think of first peter or uh, peter's words uh back to jesus in john six when a bunch of people decide they're not going to follow jesus because it's too weird and too hard and jesus says are you going to leave too and peter says where else will we go mm. you alone have the words of life wow. and i would just say in my 35 years of being a christian with failures and griefs and joys and successes and losses and hopes and disappointments that um i have not found anyone else mm. any person who has consistently given me life uh, as jesus has and i wouldn't invite people to follow him and find wow. life in the same way. That's great. That's great. What about you, Sam? The last words. I want people to go out and uh, get his book. Jesus, the great philosopher. It's a fantastic book. And uh, he really dives, dives into these things and it's just, it, and it's not hard to read either. It's a pretty easy read. So, yeah. um, and people can really benefit and grow from that, yeah. but that's all I have. And, uh, Maybe listen to some of uh, Jonathan Pennington's sermons too. On his yeah. Oh, and you had a podcast too about cars and theology. Yeah, I did cars, uh, coffee, theology on YouTube. Yeah, if you go to if people wanted to hear more, they can go to jonathanpennington.com, okay. and there's like links to sermons, teachings, videos, 
my ministry, Human Flourishing Ministries, the Garscoff Theology YouTube show. Everything's there at JonathanPennington.com. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Well, thank you, man. You know, it's been a joy uh, for me um, just learning, you know, learning, listening. I'm trying to practice being a better listener and stop talking so <laughs> much. So, um, man, thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, for all you guys listening today, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you find this valuable, like leave us a comment. You can email us at bumperstickerfaith at gmail.com. Um, pass it along to someone that you think may benefit from what we talked about today. And we just thank you for joining us and thank you for for just being you. And uh, we pray that you will continue to grow in Christ and that um, he'll be evident to others in your life. And so till we get together again, um, have a great, great rest of the week. And don't go stepping in no BS. All right. Peace.